Well, I'm Jared, and I get to uh, continue our series, 40 Days in the Word. Uh, you might recall if you were here last week that our big idea for these four talks is God's Word helps us know the Word, Jesus. Let's be real today. For all of its inspiration, for all of the lives that it has changed for the better, the Bible is problematic. You put this thing in the hands of uh, egocentric, unloving, power-hungry people, or people who don't know how to interpret uh, inspired literature, they can make a real mess of that. And history is filled with those horrible stories. Uh, heretics being burned for believing much of what you believe. The Crusades, slavery, subjugation of women, annihilation of indigenous peoples, all by selectively quoting verses out of the Bible to justify those decisions. What are we supposed to do with the Bible? Well, the Bible's a collection of many books, and uh, it, it is a record of people's experience during God's self-revelation to them. And it's an account of our human experience as God comes into our history. The Bible didn't fall from heaven in one nice, tidy package. Sometimes I wish it would have. But it came being written across 1,500 years by different people who were trying their best to listen to God. As the Spirit was guiding them in their listening and writing process. Now, I think the Bible can be intimidating. In fact, some of you may have come from a background where you said, you know, the Bible for us was this holy book really only interpreted by holy people. I've never been particularly one of those, so I don't really get very deep in it. And some of you today said, my environment was the Bible wasn't very important at all. Maybe some of you today to say, would, I'm not sure what I think about the Bible, but if you press me on it, I probably don't believe it. And we're all across the spectrum today, and that's great. As I come to know Jesus better and better, the Bible has an increasing value in my life and importance. And as I look at the lives of people that I respect and want to emulate because of their spiritual life and their character, as they follow God, I've noticed about them two things in common. They tend to all know the Bible, and they tend to all let it guide their lives. So today, I want to talk with you about the Bible, and this is going to be a great talk because you're only going to be bored for half the time. Yeah, you want to know which half? That's entirely up to you. Yeah. So in just a moment, the professor is going to come out, and we're going to have a little lecture here, and we're going to be really reasonable about your faith. And then the, uh, the, you know, the business uh, applied activator person is going to come out, and we're going to talk about how to go make this actually work in our life. So uh, if you are ready, if you're ready for the prof, are you ready, set, here we go. Some of you are saying, I can't wait. Some of you are saying, I can't wait for it to be over. Here we go. Here's our text verse for the day. In 2 Timothy, it says this. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Stop right there. There's not even a, a, a comma, and I'm stopping. Notice that the Bible talks about itself. And so it is 
revealing to us what it thinks about itself. And it says basically the Bible's not just good literature. It's not just helpful moral philosophy, but it's actually God was engaged in its construction as God spoke through human authors. Let's go on with the verse and. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for how many? Every good work. That's, that's pretty well trained, don't you think? Yeah. So I believe that the most important decision you'll ever make in your life is what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. And if you're going to follow him as the Lord and leader in your life. I think the second most important decision you'll make is what you're going to do with the Bible. Are, are you going to follow what the scripture says? And, and I want to be, be real here today. Uh, many of us, if not most of us, carry our own pockets of skepticism about this thing. I mean, this is quite a story to completely buy into and believe. So I want to look today at why accepting the Bible as God's word is not some blind leap of faith, but it is a step of faith. To accept the scripture as inspired word of God is a step, but it's no crazy leap. So today I want to look at five reasons that that may be true, and I think each of us will find some benefit uh, if you are kind of skeptical in your view, I think that this might be of real interest for you as you consider the claims of God's Word in your life. And if you already know this stuff, you're going to be reminded freshly in a conversation you might have tomorrow over coffee. Someone might come your way and say, why do you believe in God and why do you believe the Bible is true? And most of us will default to our personal, internal, subjective experience. And that's valid, but it is not reasonable. Peter, one of the most emotive followers of Jesus, is the one who wrote, be ready to give a reason for your faith. So let's be reasonable about that today and jump in. Number one, ready to go? Here we go. Internal evidence. The Bible claims it's the Word of God, as we just read a moment ago in 2 Timothy some of you might be familiar with the name J.B. Phillips. He was an old guy, now he's dead, but he was a great theologian and uh, uh, intellectual and a scholar. And he said something that is really fun and practical. Here it is. He said, you know, there's just a ring of truth about the Bible. It just rings true. Hey, for example, try this one on for size. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a servant to the lender. True or false? Yeah, true. How about uh, speak the whole truth and tell it in love? Hard to do, but true. One of my favorites, in your time of need, it's better to go to a neighbor nearby than a relative who lives far away. True? You know, some of you say it's better to go to a neighbor nearby even if I have a relative that lives near. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's your family. Yeah. <laughs> But you, but you look at it and you say, there's a lot of truth here. Yeah. You know, um, I love this in the Proverbs. You can actually stake your life on how to live there. You know, some of the people that I most admire are 
People that have said, you know, I'm going to take that book of the Bible really seriously. In fact, just a few days ago, I had breakfast with one of the Evergreen guys, great businessman, uh, father and husband. And he said, you know, a few years ago, I decided to read one chapter from the Proverbs every day and then apply it that day in my life. And he really lives this story that you would admire of uh, an amazing uh, life in life personally and family and in business. Internal evidence. It has a ring of truth. Here's the second one. Textual integrity. Now, I bet you've asked this question. It's legitimate. Can the Bible that we have today really accurately represent what happened 2,000 years ago and before? That's a good question. Manuscript evidence is critical. It's a big deal. So think with me. Take antiquities most famous works. One of those would be Homer's Iliad. There are 634 old manuscripts of that work. That is about as much as you can get to validate an old manuscript that's that old. Go back to the Bible. There are 1,566 complete manuscripts of the Bible and another 15,000 incomplete manuscripts. In other words, there is no ancient document more attested to than the Bible. But if I were a little skeptical and thoughtful, I would ask a second legitimate question, which is, so is there any variance among those manuscripts? Well, many of you know that in monastic communities that there were these guys who carefully copied each of these. And their practice was that when they finished a page or a portion of the scroll or whatever it was, that they would check to see if there was a missing letter. And if a letter was out, throw it away. They'd count up the words, missing word or an extra word, throw it away. And when they got done with the whole thing, they would go to the middle word of the document and the middle letter of the middle word, and if it was in the wrong place, throw it away. And as a result of that, we ended up with something with very little variance. I think some of you with OCD would have loved to have been a monk in one of those monasteries. It's a fantastic job for you. So is there variance? Yeah, there is. There's about 400 cases across the 20,000 documents or 70,000 documents of some variance. But none of those minor variances come close to, in any way, affecting any of the major theological themes that we find in the Bible. So you can have a confidence that the Bible that we have really is the Bible that was written and passed on to us. Well, there's a third, very important. I'll be very brief with it, though. And it has to do with its unified message. You know, this thing from start to finish has a consistent message. Now, every once in a while, I hear someone say, you know, the Bible really is full of self-contradictions. Have you heard that? Yeah, and maybe you've thought that. I've thought that. In fact, all you have to do is take about eight different, just open the page and point, and you'll end up with quite a mishmash of ideas. You may even come up with something that looks like a contradiction. But you know what happens for people who really know the Bible is we discover that all of these different points of view of 40 authors is coming around one central theme. 
And that central theme is right at the beginning. And it's that God is just and God is merciful. And God is just and God is merciful. God is just and God is merciful. God is just and God is merciful. It has a unified message from God to us. Well, the fourth one, I think, is very exciting. If you think it's dry and dusty, it won't take long. Here we go. History and archaeology. You know, uh, some uh, religious philosophies, particularly from the uh, Eastern ideas, are not grounded in historical events or necessarily an individual. Uh, They may have been founded by thinkers, but not around particular events. Uh, Christianity uh, is different in that it's not just good truth, but it's good deeds. And it's designed around critical, real-life things that happened. Jesus came to earth and was born. Jesus lived a real and verifiable life. Jesus died on a Roman cross. And even uh, no uh, no serious historian doubts that because many non-Christians were writing as Jesus' contemporaries and writing about that. Now, there were uh, critics, especially in the 18th and the 19th century, that took a look at the Bible and said, you know, there's stuff in there that really didn't happen. People and places. And so the conclusion was, so the Bible can't be true. Uh, at best, it must just be mythology. But in 19, uh, one, of the, one of the case examples were the Hittites. Now, let me ask you, have you ever met a Hittite? Going to have Hittite food this afternoon? Yeah. No. So they said, we've never heard of Hittites. The Bible can't be true. Well, in 1906, there was a major archaeological dig, and they discovered Hittite writings, language, Hittite ruins of villages, Hittite uh, uh, other artifacts, Hittite art. In fact, today, if I have really piqued your interest, you can get a PhD in Hittite studies from the University of Chicago. Yes. I have no idea what you would do with that, but you can get one. Go through Krispy Kreme, you know, get your donuts, thank the person and say, hey, thanks for the donuts. How did you get your job here? And they say, oh, I just graduated with a PhD in Hittite studies. You know, I don't know what you do, yeah. Well, King David, for years, centuries, David was thought to be an amalgamum of a bunch of other leaders, but didn't exist as an individual human until history has given us a wealth of information about David. How about Pontius Pilate? Oh yeah, written as a contemporary about existing in his relationship with Jesus. See, history's clear. So believing in the Bible is not a leap of faith into the unknown. It is not some grand subjective experience that moves us to suddenly say, this is truth that I'll stake my life and eternity on. But it does require a step of faith reasonable faith as we come to believe it. Well, why is this important? Well, I've noticed a trend. Maybe you've seen it as well. On one hand, a trend toward people moving toward deifying the Bible and worshiping it. I think that's idolatry. I think that's wrong. I don't think it's from God. On the other hand, I see people drifting toward 
subjective human experience and making it all about what I experience and feel. Which is why I'm so excited about my favorite one, which is the fifth, because it answers the question, how and who is going to bring these two together? External revealed truth and internal human genuine experience. And you're not surprised, you're in church. What's the right answer? Oh, you are so good. The greatest evidence is Jesus. Now listen, some people say, I love Jesus, I like what he taught, I think he was a good guy, he's one of my favorites. But I wanna challenge you. If you say yes to Jesus, you have to come to terms with the Bible because he quoted it 22 times that are recorded for us uh, in the story of his life. So you can't really say, "I, I like Jesus and I accept him and I think he's a great teacher and then reject a great portion of his source material for his teaching. Jesus told us that God works through scripture and he teaches us. In fact, in Jesus' very first encounter, when when he was uh, challenged by the devil, this is what Jesus said as he quoted the Old Testament. It says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And later he said, your word is truth. The beginning of his life and earthly uh, and public engagement and the last night of his life and public engagement before the cross, he said the same thing. I live on God's word, which is true. So tomorrow, uh, I challenge you and invite you to participate with us uh, in our reading plan through the book of Mark. Ushers may have been offering uh, bookmarks uh, with that reading schedule as you came in. I think they're at Info Central. If you go to the landing page on the website, ecc4.org, you'll find there a link directly to it as well. And if you read with us tomorrow, it'll be Luke chapter 7. And uh, you're going to read about the Pharisees and other religious professionals who were ticked at Jesus and challenged him because he wasn't religious enough. Is that kind of fun? God wasn't religious enough? Yeah, yeah. Well, he took them on, trust me, and this is what you'll read tomorrow. He replied, quote, right out of the Old Testament, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, here it is, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are are, are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules, end quote. He says to them, So you've let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. Hmm. And he continued, they were done, right? He wasn't done, he's on a roll. And by the way, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses says, here he quotes, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses father or mother will be put to death, end quote. But you say, that if anyone just declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, or that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. And thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And you do many other things like that. Here's Jared's paraphrase. Do you want me to go on and on and tell you what your hypocrisy looks like, you stinking religious people? 
So notice what God did with, what Jesus did with God's word. It's the same thing that he does in your life with God's word. He shows you where you have picked up religious baggage, junk along the way that you thought somehow is necessary, important, or in some way pleasing to God. And the Bible says that scripture is like a sharp knife. It cuts the junk away from the whole stuff as well. Jesus appealed to God's word. So my hope is in this first part of the talk is that you're now saying, I have a, an even firmer understanding of why it's reasonable for me to accept uh, and trust the Bible. But I want to flip the coin over and ask the question, so how can we practically let it really impact our lives? I mentioned the kind of people that I admire that really have a life that not only knows the Bible, but also applies it in their life in a way that leads them to a transformed and wonderful kind of life. So I want to give you these four suggestions. If you have your notes down toward the bottom of the first side of the page, number one is this. Uh, be ready. This is Mensa level stuff. Thinking caps on? Here you go. Choose a Bible. Yeah. I mean, you got to start someplace. Start reading this thing. Yeah. Now, notice on the second side of your handout that there's a list of references, and toward the top, we've recommended uh, you know, two or three. For example, I encourage you to get a new international version. If you want something that's a little bit easier reading, or if you're making a suggestion to a friend, maybe the New Living Translation, both of them are faithful to the original text. Uh, the NIV uses a larger English vocabulary than the New Living, but uh, they'll both be great for you. So just choose a Bible, get going. And when you, when you read, do, do three things. Ask who, what, and when. Very, very important. Who, what, and when. Otherwise, you'll do one of those, God, just lead me wherever, day, wherever, and you'll go to a place and it says, Jesus went out and hanged himself, and then you'll flip it to another place and Jesus says, go and do likewise. That's not good right there. You want context for this stuff. Trust me. Trust me. You'll get, ooh, yeah, context. Who, who is it being written about? Who's saying what? When did it happen? What is their context? And what is it saying for us? Well, so this week, I encourage you to start in the Gospel of Mark and join us in reading this uh, uh, in a reading plan. Now, you know, you're smart people, and uh, you're saying, uh, you're telling me that I should start in the Bible like two-thirds of the way through? Uh, don't you believe the first two-thirds? <laughs> Good question. No, it's not like that. But here's the deal. The Bible has a thesis through which everything else makes sense, and it's a person. It's Jesus. And so when you read the gospel's stories about Jesus, accounts of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then you have a context to go back into the first two-thirds and make sense of that, and to go forward to the last third, and you understand that with greater clarity as well. So I'm just inviting you to read the thesis first of all, and we're choosing Mark to do that. So let's do that together. So I encourage you to start with Mark. And read a chapter a day. You know what the saying is, chapter a day keeps the... Pastor away. That's right. So if you don't want to see us this week, read that at least a chapter every day. Here we go. On the other side of your outline, uh, there's a mislabeling of numbers there. What says number one is actually number two. It's more confusing for me than for you. Here we go. Use the Bible to help you know God. That's the point. 
We read it to know God. This is what Proverbs 30 says. Every word of God is flawless. And he's a shield to those who take refuge in him. I encourage you to check out the web. Uh, Uversion is a free app. Uversion, it's there on your resource list. Uh, it's just, it's, it's awesome. Uh, so it has uh, different versions of the Bible. It's, by the way, it's free. Can you believe that? I don't know how they did this. It's free. Uh, oh, it's all that advertising. You know, Nordstrom's will be chasing. No, 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 it's absolutely free. Yeah. So it has Bible reading plans. It has talks that address different life situations. So t- talking with a friend who's you know, involved in a divorce, really tough time, and he's reading some of those series of talks about going uh, through that life experience. There's, there's uh, different resources th- that are helpful. There's devotional plans. Um, the last couple of months I've been experiencing experimenting with some of those devotionals. You'll get a kick out of these. One of them is called Raising Uncommon Kids. Hmm? Yeah, Uh, too late for me, but I got grandkids in the house, so there we go, yeah. How about Dave Ramsey's Financial Wisdom from the Proverbs? Uh, I was reading uh, reading the Proverbs with Timothy and and Kathy Keller. Uh, Help me grow in my leadership capacity. Are you ready for my all-time favorite? College football and the Bible. Ah, I can't wait for the 30th of August in Dallas when Oregon plays Auburn. Here we go, yeah. So I encourage you to download uversion.com, uversion for the app, and and, uh, read, read the Bible sometime during the day. Uh, If you commute, listen to it. Just tap and listen. Give it a try. Our grandkids, uh, as Ann mentioned, Christine and Jacob are with us for a couple of weeks, and... and, uh, you know, Monday morning, it was, uh, it was awesome, that Monday morning at 1 a.m. to show us that it was snowing outside. It was, I, was, uh, I was jumping on the bed with them, looking out the window. We were celebrating that it was snowing, and, and a few minutes later, I suggested that maybe we could even go back to sleep, and we all, we all found our way back to bed for a while. So, uh, you know, Thursday morning, we're all up way before Ann even usually gets up. All this to say, our quiet time has been anything but quiet. Yeah. So some of you don't believe we have any empathy. If you have infants or toddlers or first graders in your house, trust me, uh, we're uh, regaining that. I understand. Hey, maybe version will help you with some creative ways that you can find God's Word in your life, even when uh, Minions apps are blurring Uh, in your lap. So here we go. We've listed some other resources as well, and I just want to mention to you that, you know, the context can be difficult for us when we read the Bible. Uh, You know, we're not ancient uh, historical and cultural scholars. So there's some things that you're already doing or are considering doing that are helpful. I mean, come to church. Uh, We read from the Bible. We study the Bible. You get a little bit there. But frankly, you know, you come to church two, three times a month, and it's like 35 minutes of a talk, frankly, you know, that's helpful, but it can't be the whole deal. Uh, Join a group, a men's study, women's study, or a life group uh, that is a mixed study that follows the talk that's on Sunday mornings. Maybe go to the men's retreat or the women's retreat. And, And then here's an idea that I didn't mention on the resources that I found very helpful. It's BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway. Uh, dot com. You can pick up uh, uh, the app as well. And uh, there's a whole bunch of free material there, very similar to version. 
But what makes a difference is if you want to buy a premium subscription, I do get 10% cut. Put in the magic code Jared. No, 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 there's nothing there. If you, if you upgrade to the premium, you will get an entire Bible resource library for 11 cents a day. You'll get most of the resources that we've listed there and a whole lot of others as well for about 40 bucks a year. Do let them know that Jared sent them your way. Your, uh, here we go, yeah. So, uh, BibleGateway.com. I want you to consider some great apps for kids. There's one that is uh, pretty straightforward in what it's called. Are you ready? Bible for Kids. <laughs> Bible for Kids app. So we've been using it uh, each uh, night uh, this week with uh, our grandkids, and it's really fun. You take the Bible story, and uh, they're able to read it. They're able to listen to it, and they can uh, touch the screen and animate the animations. And then at the end of the story, they can take a quiz, and uh, it's really fun. And it's certainly geared toward uh, preschool is, is probably uh, the best use of it, but it's been really fun for me to read the Bible at night with that, I've got to tell you. And uh, the other day, I even caught Jacob, the four-year-old, going off of Minions, which is like his all-time favorite app on my iPad, and switching over to Bible for Kids app. It really, it really is fun. And uh, if you don't have any young kids in your life and find that the best way to access the Bible, you just do it and tell them you're getting ready in the future in case a kid comes by. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. Okay, number three, let the Bible guide your decisions. We all want to make good decisions, right? Any of you ever make a bad decision? Yeah, yeah, we all have. So we need a, a guide to make better decisions. We can't keep making the same decisions with the same data pool that we have and expect to have different results. So what third party are you going to go into as an intervention to bring more wise information in? Well, I suggest you use the Bible. The Bible gives great directions on how to make better decisions in your life. Notice what the Proverbs say in chapter 7. My son, keep my words and store my commands within you, and keep my commands and you'll live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Put them on your fingers and write them on the, on the table of your heart. The Bible gives us direction. But let's lay, dig just a little bit deeper. How about when we're trying to re-engineer our heart or reconfigure the habits in our mind or deal with a hurt that's so deep we feel like it's become part of defining our identity and we wonder if we just have to live with that for life. And we come to the Bible, and God says something that he believes about you that makes all the difference. Because at the end of the day, it's not just what you believe about God. It's what God believes about you. So when you're tempted to go toward your darker side... You read that God says about you, I have given you the ability to move out of this situation in the right path. About that hurt that's so deep, you wonder if it'll ever be healed. The Bible says these words. So he sent his word and he healed them. So we've seen practically that we can choose Use, decide, and here it is, number four, the last one. 
Apply what you've learned. I love this, this promise in the book of Joshua. It says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. By the way, I think that was metaphorical, don't you? Uh, they would have had scrolls back in the day. That would have really been awkward. <laughs> yeah. I think the idea was make those verbal words a part of what you say. And, I, and then meditate them on them day and night so that you can be careful to do everything written in it. Now here's an astounding promise. Then, when? When you say these words, when you meditate on these words, and when you do these words, then you will be prosperous and successful. Jesus said it this way. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And James, the brother of Jesus, writes, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Well, some of us today might say, you know, Jared, I, in general, uh, I do accept the Bible. And, uh, and I think I accept Jesus. But I kind of hesitate to take the next step. I don't want to be crazy and take some kind of blind leap of faith. Uh, but I don't want to be so timid that I don't take a step of faith that does require some courage on my part. Kind of like that story of Peter stepping over the edge of the boat onto the water. It's why here at Evergreen we often talk about your next best step. I think God today is nudging many of us to take a next step. So I encourage you to take that step. We're going to be baptizing in water again at Easter. I encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, to check that out. You can get some information at Info Central. It's the same place you can do other things, including registering for the women's retreat before you go today. Take your next step. You know, I encourage you to commit to a church. It doesn't have to be this church. The only guarantee is the church you commit to is going to be filled with a lot of imperfect people, but a church where people together are on their way to follow Jesus. Connect with others in a group, or your next step might be to go to a retreat that's available, or, or maybe your next step is to download an app and to start reading God's Word. What's your next step? I encourage you to let Scripture challenge you. Let it challenge your religious junk that's piled up. Let it challenge some of your behaviors. Let it challenge some of your values and philosophy. Because when we hear God's word and we align to it is when we experience the promise that Jesus gave us, then you'll have life and have it to the fullest. Take your next step. Let's pray. God, thank you for making our faith real and reasonable and for giving us a reliable record, Lord, of your self-revelation across many, many years through many people in different literary forms with one big message that you are just and you are merciful. Today, Lord, we step into you.
We agree that we've sinned and we receive your forgiveness. We agree that we're underpowered and we receive the baptism and saturation and fullness of your Holy Spirit. We agree, God, that we don't have enough good information to make the best decisions and we come hungry for your really wise scripture and word. Lord, we agree with you that we don't know what to do many times. And we ask that by your word and your spirit that you would guide us. And most of all, God, our prayer is this. Make us more like Jesus. For your honor and glory, for the blessing of others around us. In Jesus' name. Want to say it together with me? Amen.